0: Chapter 1, verses 10 to 25. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there will be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptise any of you except Chrysus and Galus. So no one can say that you were baptised in my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is fooliness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intellect I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Hello.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Uh, Good morning, everyone, and can I add my welcome to Bob's, and if you're a guest here with us, it's so good that you've um, come to join us this morning, and I hope that Yeah, your time with us is encouraging and and helpful. Um, We only just started this uh, look at 1 Corinthians last week. So 1 Corinthians, a letter written to a church. We're going to find out a lot about them this morning and even more as we go on. So I won't tell you too much about it uh, right now. But the sermon from last week, we did it live to Facebook. So that's some way you can um, access it if you'd like to go back. And I would encourage you to do that because um, I know that it was still school holidays and a bunch of people had uh, other things on so you weren't able to be here but um, I would encourage you to go back and also our, um, our podcast library we'll just switch that over onto a different podcasting service so all, all of our messages generally get recorded and thrown up there and I think you can go to Spotify now that's new and still on iTunes and other places like that um, it's a great part of God's word There's hard stuff in here, so let me pray that God would um, be with us and speak to us. Lord, we do thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for the crisp, cool air. We thank you for the sun that's shining now and the birds that are singing out there. And Lord, it all does praise you. And Lord, we thank you that not only have you revealed yourself in what you have made, but you've revealed yourself to us in your Son powerfully as he's loved us and forgiven us and Lord as you're forgiven people we want to be growing and we want to be showing the unity that's there for us in Christ and Lord we want to be going in one so Lord whatever we need to hear from this passage this morning Lord humble us give us soft hearts Lord that we might receive your word and be grown by you In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For better or worse, I stopped playing rugby this year. Uh, It's been worse for my fitness, better for my time. I haven't been out so much. But I knew that I was going to finish last year because I knew that I wasn't going to buy a new pair of boots at the end of the season when they all come on sale. So the boots that I'd played in through last season, I had taken to with glue I don't know how many times because what was happening was the sole of the shoe just kept on opening up. It was like it could talk to me. It's like the shoe was saying, time to stop, Les, time to stop. It was on the verge of splitting. Any moment in any game, I could have just lost it and there I would have been a one-footed noofty, there you go. I was on the verge of splitting. The Corinthian church, when Paul writes to them, is a church on the verge of splitting. They can feel it. They can feel the soul coming away from the boot. It's a church that's about to split because it's a church that's done a very foolish thing. They've stopped treating Christ Jesus as Lord and they've started to elevate people who are leaders in the church as if they're the ones that they belong to. Maybe they were the preachers that came through. Maybe they were the elders that were there. They've elevated these people. They're teaching their opinion above where it belongs. They're a church that is about to split. Now, I'm not sure. I can see a lot of visiting faces today. And I just want to say this is a tricky thing if you're just here checking out Christianity because this is the church probably at its ugliest. But maybe you're here because you've had bad experiences in other churches and you are checking us out. Look, I just want you to know that I really have been praying that this helps everyone to hear this morning. And I want you to know that this is so important in pinning Jesus exactly where he belongs, as the Lord and Saviour over every church. In fact, let's just recap a couple of verses. This is what we looked at last week. When Paul started this letter, he went all about Jesus, because it is all about Jesus. In verse 4, he tells us that he thanks God because of his grace given to the Corinthian church. He said that the grace given in Jesus is absolutely all of everything, always. Following Christ is always in the grace of God given to us. And so he says this amazing thing in verse 8, he that is God, will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. And that's a phenomenal thing for him to be saying to these people because they were living in a way that was anything but that. 1 Corinthians is written to a church who are Christians but are messy in living it out. And one thing that I actually didn't speak to last week was just a very plain thing in verse 2. As he starts this letter to them, he addresses it to the church. He's writing to a church, and we want to be clear on what a church is. See, a church is the gathered people of God. Church is not a place that you go to. It's not something even just that you simply belong to. It's the gathered people. You can't be church by yourself. And because it's not individual, but because it's together, it's really important that we're very clear that church is not about us. And what do I mean by that? It's not about us. It's not about you. Now, that's very countercultural. But actually... We've got a picture of this going on all around us today. Last week I noticed how weird it is to preach at people who I can't see their reaction because you've got the mask on your face. But why have you got the mask on your face? Because you recognise it's not about you. If It was just optional like it has been in the past. If it was just recommended, who actually ever wore it? Maybe like two or three percent of people. But because we're we're taking it really seriously at the moment. There are this constant reminder that it's not about us. Look, that's how we should think about church. If any of us ever turn up here just for us to get our fill, to get what we can out of it, we have got it wrong. How would you know? How would you know if you make this mistake, thinking that you've got the wrong picture of church? Well, you would know it, firstly, If you only come or gather with other Christians when it suits you, and you would know if you don't because it doesn't suit you, that's a sign to you you're confused about what church is. You think it's just about you. Now, there's a really easy way to uh, uh, um, illustrate this mistake. Just imagine in a hospital, Lismore Base Hospital, imagine the head doctor in that hospital, believing that they were the center of the whole place. And they go up onto the top store and they look out one of the windows, uh, onto the top set of wards, look out one of the windows and realize what a beautiful view it is. And so, believing it's all about them, they make a decision to knock down all the wards, dismantle all the beds, lose about 25 beds in the hospital so that they can have a big office and recreation area on the top floor. That would just be ludicrous, wouldn't it? Hospitals are there for sick people. The doctor's there is only the doctor's purpose being in the hospital is only justified by the fact that there's sick people there for him or her to treat. That actually reminds me, and, and I was reminded through the week of um, a, a tweet that came out. And it's very old old um, old saying attributed a one-liner that can be traced back to the 4th century, but it more or less goes like this. This might be a bit of a paraphrase. But it's been said, the church is primarily a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. In museums, you, you display all your glories, don't you? But in hospitals, you turn up vulnerable, and and you say what's wrong. If you can't do that, then it cannot be treated. That's the heart of our gospel, to come before our Lord Jesus and fess up, fess up that we've got it wrong, that we are sinful. Now, you, you probably know that, but But what the point that Paul's making here and the appeal that he's about to make in our reading today is that it's this truth, that's the thing that gathers us together. That's what makes the church. If you build it on anything else, if you call people together for any other reason, well, you might have like a club, you might have a society, you might have whatever. But the thing that draws a church together is the gospel the gospel, the message that that we respond to by fessing up, acknowledging our sin and receiving the grace and love of God. It's no easy thing to, to say that we're dead and lost and broken and alienated. But it's a glorious thing when we know that we say it to Jesus in whom God reached out in loving grace. In, in kindness that we can't even fathom, to rescue us and restore us. And as we, as we will humble ourselves to this truth, and as God humbles us, that's what pulls us together. That is what calls a church to be a family and to be a witness, to be light where they are planted. And you see how it's not about you? That's the truth that brings us together. And that's the first big problem that Paul addresses. Jump down to verse 11 in that reading. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there's quarrels among you lot. What they mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, follow Cephas, who's another name for Peter. Still another... I follow Christ. Paul's received this word that this group is quarrelling, arguing over who they belong to. They would have been saying things to the effect of, well, when Apollos was here, this is what he taught us. And he said nothing about that, so oh, we're not going to listen to you. To which they'd get a response like, yeah, well, Paul did teach us about this, and he was the first one that came here. You know, he started this church. So he's more important, so nick off. And then the other group would have said, no, you're both wrong. We got baptised by Peter. You know, Peter, he hung out with Jesus all that time. Go read your Gospels. So you can just stay over there. I mean, to illustrate it like that, you can hear how stupid it is. You'd say it's childish, but just think, how on earth? Do we live with all... Like, where are all these Christian denominations come from? Has this not continued to rear its head throughout the history of the church? What kind of things have you seen happen when pastors and leaders move on and their legacy hangs around, but uh, so does the, the kind of sense of authority that actually left when they did? People will say things like, well, when... Such and such was here. You know, sometimes sometimes there are good theological reasons to go. And there's other letters in the New Testament that deal with when people aren't teaching the gospel that brings people together. But when it's like this kind of personality stuff, it's just wrong. And not only do we still see this we actually see something here that we might not fully get because this was a very ancient Greek thing to do. Corinth was an in, intensely Greek city. You've heard about like the ancient city of Athens and how there was the Olympic Games come from there. You know a little bit of that. Corinth had the second biggest kind of uh, games, the Isthmus Games, and it, it had all this Greek culture going on. In the... In the um, corinthian culture this is the kind of thing that they did and this is where we really see that the corinthians are being more corinthian than they are being christian they're falling into the pattern of their culture more than they are into the way of following christ this is what corinthian people did they built their lives and identity around their teachers they were factional about it and although it doesn't sound that self-centered in the end, it was because it became all about their identity. I'm a, I'm a Paul guy. I'm a Peter guy. And as it comes up in later verses, it's not until about the chapter 4 that you get to the end of Paul addressing this stuff. We actually see that at the heart of this is, is still deep-seated pride and arrogance. Now, what place does pride and arrogance have in humbling yourself before Jesus and asking for his forgiveness. It's oil and water. Christianity can't work that way. It's not just that it doesn't work that way. It cannot. Because it's built on Jesus. And and if it's not built on Jesus, it's not Christianity. We've skipped over verse 10 to this point. But go back there because... Listen to how loving and gracious Paul is with these people. See, he's actually started writing to them with an appeal. He doesn't go for the command, I I command you to do this. He appeals to what Christ has done for them. You know what actually saved you? It wasn't Peter or Paul or Apollos, it was Jesus. And so he appeals on the basis of that to agree. What he wants for them to do is to come and agree. Agree and agree in what you say. Be united in mind and thought. You know, as a church, if we talk about growing, growing's got to be toward individually Christ-likeness, as a group, toward unity. It's got to be growing us together. Together. And agreeing isn't just agreeing to disagree. It's actually letting the gospel work issues out. Letting the love of Christ work issues out. You can disagree with some stuff. Like if I was in charge of how strong the coffee was in that pot out there, it would be like tar. But when it comes down to what the gospel is and how to live it, That's where we are called to unity. How does that actually work? Just think about what the gospel gives us. The gospel gives us a framework for grace and forgiveness. For grace and forgiveness. And so just as we need to be humble before God to receive it, if it's going to bring unity amongst us, We need to have humility before one another. We've got to have a self-awareness. That means that when we're not just sitting like this, but when we're sitting like this, and when we're in conversation over morning tea, when we're on the phone with each other sharing our burdens, when we're in formal groups together doing Bible studies, whatever it is, there's no place for pretending. There's no place for pretending. There's no place for self-righteousness. There's no place for showiness. You know, sometimes we talk about how we should do church. I love that we're sitting on plastic chairs in a half-cold school hall. It's not that pretty. I mean, it's comfortable enough. But it's not about pretense. There's no smoke, mirrors, or altars And it's got to extend in relationships. The framework is of grace and forgiveness. Now later in chapters 11 to 14, and I look forward to getting to this later in the year, Paul does talk about how we're all gifted in various ways and we all contribute to the body. But beyond that, we bring to relationships in the church the love that Jesus brought us. There's times when we will seriously go through seasons of doubt that God really loves us or where we struggle to feel it, but we will know it through the love that we experience when we're loving and united. And so this also leads us to to rising above the kind of cancel culture of our day, the dummy spitting, the walking away, the bickering and dividing. The gospel powers us to rise above it. Now, yeah, there'll, there'll be leaders appointed, people to coordinate minister, uh, ministries, elders appointed, pastors play a role. But even later, Paul writes, like, like there was Peter and Paul and Apollos, they did great ministry in the city of Corinth. There's place for that but later in 1 Corinthians 11 1 Paul writes follow my example as I follow the example of Christ it's not about just resting on his authority he only it's only so far as he's following Christ See, it's not the leaders that are causing the problem here they're not Apollos wasn't there saying hey come follow me and forget about it's the people that are making this mistake. Paul, as Paul riffs on this in verses 14 to 16, he shows that it's not them that's caused this problem. It's not him, it's them. Paul, in fact, went out of his way to avoid this happening. He said, I didn't baptise anyone, or probably did a couple of people, but I wasn't, that's not what I was there to do. I didn't want this to happen. In verse 13, he just shows how illogical it is. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? If you want to identify with one of these guys, then you are making him Lord and Saviour. And that doesn't work. It's not possible for any of them to save. We're a pretty diverse bunch here at this church. I made a joke to John this morning, I think, that Finding a brawn and bred Presbyterian here is pretty hard. There's a few of us. Actually, I shouldn't say us. I'm not even one. I've been in like three different Christian denominations. And you know what? That means the influence of multiple different Christian movements can be seen among us. But where we've experienced unity, it's because we've put Jesus at the centre. If it's not Jesus at the centre, it's not Christian. So maybe you've processed wherever you've come from. Maybe that still has a hold on you. Wherever you are at that, about that at the, mo- at the moment, if you have any attachments to anything like that, any hang-ups from other things that you've experienced, that's fine. Just bring them and explore them with each other. Because as we rub together, we want to keep pointing each other to Jesus. Look at verse 10 again. Very simple. Agree around Jesus and allow that to build unity. How are you going at doing that? What Paul says here helps remind us But like I've already said, there's no other way in Christianity. But also, he's about to pull the rug out from under their cultural assumptions, and we'll get to that in a second. But maybe, just maybe, there's something that you need to let go of today, something you need to let go to. Maybe there's something that you need to increase your gratitude for about the people that God's gathered you with in Christ. Maybe, and this is preempting later stuff in Corinthians, but maybe there's something you need to begin to contribute to the church here so that you move closer in and grow in unity in mind and thought. Because where he goes in verse 17, he says this For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And I'm not there preaching it with wisdom and eloquence, that would only empty the cross of its power you see the mode of delivery isn't the source of the power it's the message that is powerful the wise but foolish mes- message see, these Corinthians they were making another mistake that the reason they were attaching themselves to these guys was because that was what you did because you went for the guy this is what you would do you would go for the guy that that had the best oration, like he was the the best public speaker, the one that was the cleverest, the wittiest, the one that kind of, well, it's kind of a bit weird for us, but the one that was most like the Greek philosophers. And what Paul wants to do is actually say, no, that's a cultural thing. Forget about that, because that's not where the power is. The power is in the message. Now, the reason that they've gone there might have been the pull of the culture, but also just think about, again, what the message is. He's asking them, in light of that, to put all their hope in the work of someone on a cross. And, you know, at one level, that doesn't make a lot of sense by human standards. It didn't in the Corinthian culture. But he makes the point there that, that this is in verse 18... The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. See, it only looks weak if you haven't received it. Being on the other side of it, you know the power of it. The power of God to be saved. That's exactly what he says. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 19 is incredible. He quotes Isaiah and he says that what Jesus did on the cross, it shames human wisdom. What God did pulls apart our our kind of like natural human tendencies to to just kind of split and divide and align ourselves with different people. It pulls us apart and subverts it. The irony was that they wanted to get rid of Jesus and what they set on fire was the biggest movement in all of human history. It's not just a human phenomenon, is it? It's the salvation of multitudes of people. Just in those last five verses, just follow the logic of it. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, the point is, in the face of human wisdom... The cross looks weak. Verse 22 says that the Jewish people, they had a culture that demanded signs. Give me signs. Show me your power, God. The Greeks looked for wisdom, like I've already said. But Paul says, no, the cross is the sign. And what's it a sign of? It's a sign of exceeding love and grace and mercy. What is the cross? It's God's wisdom. Who would think that Jesus on a cross would have the power that it did to save people? It's wise because he saves people that cannot save themselves. That's the thing. We need Jesus to save us. That kills our pride, and that's what Paul is doing. Killing their pride for them. Pride is the root of division. It's the root of dissension. It's the root of breaking up. What causes the split? So he's leaving the Corinthians with nothing to appeal to other than Jesus. That's what it means to put Jesus at the centre. See, that's a very easy thing to say. Let's be a church that puts Jesus at the centre. That's how you do it. See, what's clear from from just two weeks in this letter of the 1 Corinthians is just how powerful the gospel is, just how powerful the cross is. You've probably already believed that and known that and experienced that in your own life. But what this part of God's word says is that that's got to drive unity. It's got to drive unity. And it's got to drive unity in a world and culture that is divisive. That's why it's an appeal. Agree. Get along. Come around the truth. Live in the truth. Preparing from this passage this week has sucked it's been incredibly difficult we came dangerously close as an eldership this year to an ugly division I got stuck on a sentence in one of the commentaries just commenting on verse 10 that we divide because of pride like I've said pride being the root of factionalism Pride that's almost always built on self-importance and arrogance. Before engaging with the factions and leaders in more detail in chapters 2 and 3, Paul looks to cut the legs out from underneath worldly divisions by driving a skewer into human pride. I felt the pain of that over and over. I've spent sleepless nights, not just this week, but through the year, wrestling to put things like this to death in my own heart, spent sleepless nights wrestling with, as a pastor, how to lead through it, and spent many hours working how to respond in grace to that pride and self-importance and arrogance in other people. and it's a live issue in other areas of our church right now right today and it's quite possibly a live issue in some other area of your life right now maybe at your workplace maybe in your family heck look at the united states they looked like they're on the brink of civil war last year and that's just because we're connected to that western culture but look through the world Dividing, fighting over petty small things is a human thing to do. It goes on all around us. It happens because of arrogance and self-importance. And the gospel leaves no room for that. It might possibly be present in some kind of strain you feel in turning up on a Sunday here this morning. Being part of this church life right now. You've got to let God, by his word, appeal to the very thing that makes you a Christian, that grace and forgiveness. And you've got to let that abound. I've got to let that abound in my life. We've got to always know the gospel and know it deeply. Be praying, over, praying it over ourselves and letting it humble us So that we live in it more and more. So let's pray. Lord, your word really does undo us. Lord, sometimes we hear the melody of your word and it sounds like it's in a minor key. Uh, But Lord, we know that when it's like that, when it's ugly... We're reminded that your word is like a mirror to us and it reflects what we're like. And so, Lord, we are reminded and we want you to remind us in our heart of who you are and what you've done to come into this world, to come into the mess, to come among us as the man Jesus Christ and lay down his life, Lord, that there would be a path out of it to love, to forgiveness, to grace and reconciliation. And so, Father, by your spirit and by the appeal that's here in your word and by the gospel we believe, Lord, unite us, we pray, in that. Lord, let it work like yeast through bread, like that it would spread throughout our community. Lord, we celebrate it for where it exists. We celebrate as we see teams of people serving alongside each other in love and and, and caring for one another. Lord, we commit those who are set apart to serve us in various ways, our elders, our committee of management, the teams that serve us on a Sunday, the team that serves our kids. Father, we appeal to you that your grace would abound among all the relationships of people that see those things happen. Lord, wherever there's a selfish way in us, wherever there's pride in us, Lord, graciously kill it off. Lord, humble us to hand it over to you. Lord, let apologies be quick to come out of our mouths. Lord, let them be sincere. Lord, let forgiveness be something that's frequently extended. Bind us together, we pray, Lord, that our lives might be lit up and that our church might shine brightly in a community that is in darkness. Lord, we pray humbly and confident in your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.